0: Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly. Major discovery. What Israeli officials are saying about a newly uncovered tunnel network maintained by Hamas. Deal or no deal. U.S. senators debate defending the southern border and providing aid to Ukraine all before the holiday break faith, and the workplace. A new study examines religious discrimination among workers in the U.S., and the findings just may shock you. And come let us adore him. How a masterpiece painting can draw us closer to the Christmas spirit. These stories and more tonight.
1: From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly.
0: Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Peter Canisius. We begin tonight with the war between Hamas and Israel. Negotiations at the United Nations Security Council have hit an impasse. Members will try again tomorrow to agree on a draft resolution to halt the hostilities in an effort to bring more aid to the Gaza Strip. The situation is considered dire. The World Health Organization says northern Gaza has no more functioning hospitals. Workers describe horrific scenes of suffering, patients writhing in pain without medication, a lack of antibiotics for post-operative surgeries, and dead bodies lying on the floor. Hamas and Israeli leaders are in Egypt today for hostage talks and discuss a possible ceasefire. Here with the latest on the war, a senior advisor to the Israeli prime minister and former Israeli ambassador to the U.K., Mark Regev. Mr. Ambassador, good to be with you today. Uh, Tell us, what is the latest with the talks and where do things stand right now?
2: So I don't have a definitive answer for you. I'd like to tell you that all our hostages are coming home. Uh, uh, Some 130 people are still in Gaza, held by Uh, Hamas, And we want them all home. But I can't put the car before the horses. Uh, We have to wait and see how this develops. We're talking closely to the United States. We're talking to Egypt and to Qatar. But uh, 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 we'd like to see these people come home. But at the moment, it looks tough.
0: Uh, Sir, the Biden administration uh, has repeatedly urged Israel to shift from high-intensity operations to more targeted, intelligence-driven missions. Uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin also said that he fears of a wider regional war that would subside if that happened. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts on that.
2: So we had good meetings with the uh, 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 Secretary of Defense when he was here earlier in the week. I think we see eye-to-eye on the overall strategic objectives. Number one, that Israel uh, has the right, in fact, the obligation to act against Hamas to to protect our our people. Two, that the new situation has to be created in Gaza, that uh, this terrorist group should never again be allowed to rule over the Gaza Strip, that the people of Gaza deserve a different regime to rule over them. And, And we agree on all that. And, of course, we want to see both America... And Israel want to see all the hostages released. Uh, We can have discussions uh, uh, about how to proceed forward on those goals. Uh, We listen very closely to whatever the Americans say to us. And I believe they listen very carefully to what we say to them. But the goals are the destruction of Hamas's military machine, bringing the hostages home and ending Hamas's rule of terror over the Palestinian population of Gaza.
0: Can you tell us more uh, about the main Hamas military compound uh, that Israel seized and how that may maybe shift the nature of the fighting and possibly the focus of the mission?
2: So at the moment, a lot of people are looking at Khan Yunus, which is in the south of Gaza, where uh, uh, the leadership of Hamas has been stationed. And underneath the city, there is this underground uh, uh, network of subterranean terror Uh, uh, structures, uh, tunnels, uh, command centers, uh, arms depots. Uh, We fear some of our hostages uh, could be there as well. And Hamas has built this, as I said, subterranean terror machine underneath civilian neighborhoods. They build them uh, uh, under hospitals, under schools, under UN facilities, under mosques. And our ground forces who who are doing bitter close-quarter fighting, taking losses, are, are slowly but surely raking up this Hamas military machine. Now, in the north, where we started earlier in the northern Gaza Strip, uh, we're already seeing uh, the signs of collapse. We're seeing more and more Hamas uh, terrorists uh, voluntarily surrender. And I think uh, in the south, we're going to start to see that soon. It's not the end yet, but maybe this is already the beginning of the end.
0: We have about 90 seconds left or so, sir. But I do want to ask you, um, about the Holy Family Church in Gaza. Uh, There are conflicting reports as to what actually happened in the shooting of two women there. Can you provide the latest on what your investigation has uncovered? Um, Was this a mistake by the IDF?
2: It could have been, but we don't know that for sure. What we do know is that there was a hostile fire from the immediate vicinity of the church by terrorists, rocket-propelled grenade fired at our our forces. There was a firefight between uh, the IDF and Hamas terrorists. And and apparently, and tragically, uh, the two women were caught up in the crossfire and killed. We cannot say definitively yet uh, whether it was Israeli fire or the fire of the terrorists that led to their tragic deaths. I can tell you unequivocally, Israel does not target civilians. Israel does not target churches. And in fact, uh, we have close relations with the the, the church leaders in Jerusalem and the different churches in uh, Gaza. We've been trying to coordinate as best we can to keep them out of the line of fire.
0: Well, Mr. Rogrev, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, the Biden administration responds to the growing humanitarian crisis in Gaza. The United Nations says more than half a million people there are starving. That is a quarter of the population. The Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza also says that 20,000 Palestinians have been killed in the fighting.
3: We don't want to see any more civilians harmed or wounded or displaced out of this conflict. The right number of casualties for civilians is zero. We've been very clear about that.
0: President Joe Biden also defends his decision to negotiate with Venezuela. He approved a prisoner swap that freed several Americans. Six of them arrived back in the U.S. last night, landing in San Antonio, Texas.
1: I'm incredibly grateful to my family, to my friends, to President Biden for getting me home, for getting all of us home.
2: So much gratitude for, for the moment, for the United States of America, for, for all of you and, and for the, the opportunity to come home.
0: In exchange for the Americans, the U.S. had to return Alex Saab to Venezuela, a friend of President Nicolas Maduro, who was facing money laundering charges in the United States. North Korea's leader says if provoked, his country will not hesitate to launch a nuclear strike. Photos show Kim Jong-un meeting with troops. This follows recent tests of an intercontinental ballistic missile, North's newest and most powerful weapon. The drill was called a warning over confrontational U.S. and South Korean moves. The two nations have said that any attempt by North Korea to use nuclear weapons would be the end of the Kim Jong-un government. Turning now to Prague, where at least 15 people are dead and two dozen injured following a shooting at Charles University, a tragic sight. Some students were forced to cling to the side of buildings In order to avoid gunfire, emergency vehicles patrol the area as dozens of people try to evacuate. Investigators do not suspect a link to any extremist ideology. Beliefs say the suspect, a student at the school, is dead. A massive crowds have gathered to cast ballots in the second day of voting for the president of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Around 44 million people were expected to vote. Many polling stations opened late or had faulty equipment. Some people waited for 10 hours or more. Yesterday, officials added time for people to cast their vote. The West African nation is around 30 percent Catholic. It has been plagued by fighting among various armed groups. Back here in the United States, former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani has filed for bankruptcy. The move comes just days after he was ordered to pay $148 million in a defamation lawsuit regarding election workers in Georgia following the 2020 presidential contest. An advisor says the bankruptcy filing, quote, should be a surprise to no one. Giuliani says that he will appeal the ruling in Georgia. A special counsel probing Donald Trump's alleged attempts to overturn the 2020 election is asking the Supreme Court to weigh in on the question of the former president's immunity. Lawyers for the former president asked the nation's highest court not to weigh in. They say the issue will first be considered by an appeals court in Washington early next year. Special counsel Jack Smith says it is important that the Supreme Court weigh in as quickly as possible. While well, the US Senate has officially left town for a 3-week Christmas break and a possible deal to unlock millions of dollars for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan remains elusive. There was no agreement on the border security part of the package that pushes talks into the new year. A lot of us Republicans are eager to get Ukraine the aid that it needs, but we cannot. And I say we
1: cannot tend to our national security interests abroad while ignoring the national security crisis right here on our doorstep.
0: Republican Senator John Kennedy agrees. He tells EWTN News nightly that the only way to reach a deal is for the president to become involved. President Biden has got to
1: decide whether keeping open borders is more important to him than aid to Ukraine, aid to Israel, and aid to
0: Taiwan. Democratic Senator Michael Bennett says he views the border problem in a larger context.
2: That immigration is not only about the border, immigration is also about driving the American economy. And fully a third of our economic growth over the last more than 100 years has come from immigration. Two thirds has been organic growth.
0: Before leaving for the Christmas break, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Republican Leader Mitch McConnell put out a joint statement about the border talks, saying bipartisan border security negotiations are essential to the Senate's efforts to address critical national security priorities. Challenging issues remain, but we are committed to addressing needs at the southern border and to helping allies and partners confront serious threats in Israel, Ukraine, and the Indo-Pacific. Both leaders say they hope an agreement can be reached so that the Senate can take swift action on the national security bill early next year when Congress returns. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including faith in the workplace. A new study sheds light on attitudes toward religion in the office environment. And Pope Francis encourages Vatican workers in a pair of traditional speeches. that 7% of U.S. workers say they have been treated unfairly in the workplace due to their religious identity. The findings are from a study entitled Religious Discrimination in the Workplace, conducted by Sherm Research. The Society for human resource management. And of those who say they were treated unfairly due to religious identity, 30% add that it affected their mental health. The study also finds that 92% of US workers have a religious identity including atheists and agnostics, but nearly half have never verbally disclosed their religious identity to co-workers. Joining us now is Alex Alonzo, Chief Knowledge Officer at SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management. Alex, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. So talk to us a little bit more about the study and why it was conducted in the first place?
1: So thank you so much for having me, Tracy. And one of the things that we found was there was a rise both in, uh, what it was that people were experiencing in terms of the discomfort that they had at work, meaning that they were feeling excluded in some way, shape or form. And, and as part of our work, we, we try to study what makes a better workplace for most organizations. The other thing that we found was managers were being more, uh, touted as less and less effective over the course of the last three to five years. So this really prompted us to say you know what, we need to study what's changing and what has changed in the workplace. Uh, Without question, what we found was that 7% of workers were uh, reporting exclusion or feeling uh, treated unfairly in some way as a result of their religious identity, and that that had downstream effects. Uh, Everything from ranging uh, what was feeling excluded to feeling disengaged to more than two-thirds of them feeling like they were completely isolated at work.
0: And what else would you say were some of the big takeaways from the study?
1: Uh, You know, one of the things that we found was that there were, just generally speaking, we found that there were close to Ten percent of the uh, of those workers who had experienced some sort of uh, unfair treatment as a result of their religious identity turned around and said they were experiencing effects in their personal life. We also saw that another ten percent said that their finances had been negatively impacted in some way, shape, or form. But more than that, they also started to report that they were experiencing tough situations in the workplace, and what we found just as a, a, a sort of a telling statistic was that managers themselves felt that they openly had s- uh, some biases against religious identity. Not, In other words, not necessarily uh, any one religion, but rather the notion of being open about your religious identity and bringing it to the workplace. So managers, almost 18 percent of them, started to report that they were having and experiencing those biases and bringing them to the workplace.
0: And Alex, what other examples maybe do people say or use uh, when saying they were treated unfairly because of their religious identity?
1: So one of the things that people will turn around and say is that they feel as though they're not getting assignments, the right kind of assignments. They'll also share that they're being uh, excluded from particular groups and and, and group outings uh, at the workplace. But then beyond that, they're feeling as though they're not recognized by the leaders. In fact, one of the things that they found is that uh, they themselves— feel as though when excluded by the, the, or being uh, considered for their, uh, 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 as though they're being treated unfairly because of their religious identity, one of the things that they highlight is that their contributions are not even recognized by their leaders. What we see on the, in the converse or in the, on the other side of the coin is, those workplaces that are actually religiously diverse and do celebrate religious identity report that they uh, they are remarkably uh, aware, and re- and leaders are really good at recognizing the contributions of all those involved in the workplace. So it seems like a more inclusive culture.
0: Yeah. I, I know the study also found that not only is religious bias in the workplace harmful to the employees, but it can also be harmful to the company. Can you shed some more light on that for us?
1: Uh, yeah. So, for instance, when thinking about the company, we see that a variety of different organizations actually experience a, a decrease, not just in their firm performance, but a decrease in whether or not they can retain and attract talent. And uh, in an era where we're actually dealing with not just the, the cliche war for talent, but rally, really the, the opportunity to, to source talent and really limit in terms of uh, limits in terms of the talent that's available, what we continue to run into is organizations that are running into a process because they don't come across as being attractive to people who are interested in religiously diverse uh, and and organizations that have a culture that brings forth uh, the the contributions of everyone, regardless of their religious identity. Uh, The other thing that sort of stands out is that those cultures are then reported as uncivil in some way, shape or form. And and that's where you start to see uh, sort of a decline in, in a lot of the areas where you might see cultures not being described as empathetic or being described as inclusive. We at SHRM sort of have a highlight uh, kind of uh, work that we're engaged in that looks at civility as being the cornerstone of an inclusive workplace culture, but more importantly, the precursor to a welcoming and inclusive culture.
0: All right. We're going to leave it right there. Alex, thank you so much and sharing all this with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, a Catholic All Women's college in Indiana is reversing its policy that would have allowed any students who identify as a woman, even biological males, to enroll in the school. The policy by St. Mary's College drew backlash and criticism, including from Fort Wayne South Bend Bishop Kevin Rhodes. He said it was at odds with church teaching. The school's president apologized for losing people's trust and unintentionally creating division where she had hoped for unity. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, Awe and Adoration. How a Renaissance artist showed his devotion for the child Jesus in this timeless masterpiece. Plus, an inspiring message from Pope Francis to employees of the Holy See. Just a few days away from Christmas, add one masterpiece in the National Gallery of Art in the nation's capital. Features a well-known Renaissance artist's view of the birth of our Lord, and in particular, the role played by shepherds. We turn now to Jem Sullivan, associate professor at the Catholic University of America and author of The Beauty of Faith. Jem, wonderful to have you back on again. Uh, First off, tell us about the artist Giorgione, who painted this beautiful image of the Adoration of the
3: Shepherds. Thank you for having me, Tracy. It's good to be back. You know, while Florence was the birthplace of the Italian Renaissance, the city of Venice became a major cultural center where the arts flourished in the 15th and 16th centuries. This painting by the Venetian master artist Giorgione was completed between 1505 and 1510. And it's a familiar image uh, that you may have seen on a Christmas card. It captures that moment when the shepherds adore the newborn Jesus, as recounted in the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke that we will hear during this Christmas season. And, Jeb, can you walk us through this masterpiece? What parts of
0: this painting really jump out to you?
3: Sure, the shepherds were among the first to hear the good news of the incarnation of God among us. And so here we see on the left two shepherds who have left behind their fields and come in haste to worship the infant Jesus. And we notice that their clothes are tattered and torn. They may be poor in the things of this world, but they are rich in faith. And as they kneel in adoration before the Christ child, we see that this infant Jesus is radiating light. He is the light of the world. So the newborn Jesus radiates light, and the artist places Jesus on the bare ground with only his mother Mary's cloak to protect him from the cold earth. God becomes one of us in simplicity, in poverty, and in humility. And then we see the rich blue robes of Mary and the golden cloak of St. Joseph. Both Mary and Joseph, the ones whom God entrusted his only son Jesus to, both of them are also radiating light. It is said that the Venetian painters like Giorgione were able to create this radiant light by mixing finely ground precious stones into the paint. And when the paint dried, the scene would shimmer with radiant light.
0: And before I let you go, Jim, what should be our takeaway from the scene of the Adoration of the
3: Shepherds? Sure, Tracy, you know, at Mass on Christmas Day, we will hear in the Gospel reading that Jesus is the true light who enlightens everyone and who shines the light of God's love and mercy and peace into the darkness of this world. So as we ponder the scene of two shepherds kneeling in adoration with Mary and Joseph before Jesus, the light of the world, I think this artist is really giving us a visual invitation to join in their adoration as we sing that Christmas hymn, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him, Christ the Lord. Well, Jim, thank you so
0: much for sharing all of this with us today. We really appreciate it. God bless you and Merry Christmas.
3: The same to you, Tracy. Merry Christmas. Pope
0: Francis is remaining busy in the days leading to Christmas. In a meeting with members of the Holy See's administrative offices, he reminded them about the importance of listening. <laughs> In his traditional annual remarks, the Holy Father also encouraged members of the Roman Curia to be merciful and courageous, and to avoid being like hungry wolves and simply devour words without understanding their meaning. Well, the Holy Father also spoke with Vatican employees and talked about the importance of being hidden and being little. Non dimenticare questo: il bene cresce senza fare rumori. Pope Francis asked the workers to imitate our Lord's arrival on Earth and use a style that avoids being noisy and grandiose. He also said the Holy Family is a model for how we should treat our relatives. Now well, we thank you for watching tonight. And remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable, and we leave you tonight with a look at the Christmas decorations in London's iconic Covent Garden. Good night and God bless.